because of grief, I regret the circumstances that lead to my preaching in place of your preacher, Joe, this weekend. But at the same time, I'm honored to help Joe, and it's always a blessing to worship with you. The passing of Joe's dad, Dick Williams, is the passing of someone I admire, respect, and love. And though I know Dick's home going to be with Jesus is something that he's actually longed for all his life, and especially in more recent days with his physical decline, we grieve his absence from among us, and at the same time we rejoice that he's in the presence and the tender care of Lord Jesus. And I'm also very grateful for you, New Life, as a church family, because I know you are and will be a source of strength to Joe and his family. And this morning, above all else, we want to give thanks to our almighty, loving God who provides us hope even in the face of death. And he does that through the sacrifice of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead that we've been singing and praising God for this morning. Because Jesus is alive, we also have the sure hope of life after death. That means everything here and hereafter. And all of this is representative of God's amazing grace that we often sing about. And that's what I want us to focus on together this morning, the amazing grace of God. Like the song says, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Can anybody use some grace? <laughs> I need all that I can get. And a huge, huge element of God's amazing grace is that he would ever even save us in the first place. You know, we think about grace in different ways. Maybe you have heard it explained this way, grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. And that is a very helpful way to think about it. We can define it as undeserved favor or the blessing from God upon us that we could never earn, that we could never deserve, but out of his great love, he gives it to us. Like Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amazing grace. But wait, at the risk of sounding like a late night infomercial, <laughs> amazingly, and though hard to imagine, there really is more. There's more. God not only saves us, but he allows us to get in on what he's doing in the world right now. John prayed just moments ago, thank you for allowing us to partner with you. He allows us to get on in on what he's doing in the world right now. And so it's grace to save us, and it's grace upon grace, upon grace, upon grace. It's amazing grace. And that grace is reflected in our text 
this morning. Would you open your Bibles or turn your device to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. I'm going to read out of the New International Translation. You can follow along in your own Bible or on the screen. The Apostle Paul is given testimony, and this is what he says, inspired by the Holy Spirit. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength and considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Indeed, truly, it's amazing grace. And what I'd like to do for a few minutes this morning is just to explore this amazing grace from God by focusing on verse 12. Now, verse 12 is going to be on the screen for us throughout the message. And it's kind of curious. When you look at verse 12, the actual word grace doesn't even appear in it. But the amazing grace of God runs through and through verse 12. So we're going to focus on this. And since it's on the screen, why don't you just read it aloud with me one more time. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Now I'm going to give you a little assignment during the message. If you're able to do this, I'd like you to just try and memorize that verse. If you're able to. Now I'm getting older. And my memory is not what it used to be. <laughs> and so, just do what you're able to do. But I'd like us to get this imprinted in our minds so that it stays in our hearts. And you'll have the opportunity in the course of the message just to keep looking at it. And maybe, maybe you can memorize it, maybe not. I, I'm the last of seven kids. There are six of us still living. We have a thread uh, on the WhatsApp, you know, so we can keep in touch with each other on a daily basis. And, and I, I sent them a meme yesterday. I'll bet some of you will be able to identify with it. It says, my kids keep laughing about my poor memory. They won't be laughing at Christmas time when there are no eggs under the tree. <laughs> so maybe you feel a little bit like me that way. But do what you can, and let's have the Word of God penetrate our minds and hearts today. And to help us do that, we're going to use the computer that God has given to every single one of us, the amazing brain that he has given us. And I want you to picture grace based on verse 12 in your mind. And with our minds, we'll kind of just create our own PowerPoint slides for the message today. And here's the first slide. I want you to go to the keyboard of your mind and, and I want you to locate the caps lock button and punch it. And then I want you to peck in these letters with me, capitalized, G-R-A-C-E. Picture that in your mind. Grace is capitalized. And the reason grace is capitalized because according to verse 12 of 1 Timothy 1, Jesus has an appointment for each one of us. He has appointed us to his service, you see. Jesus appointed Paul to his service. I thank Christ Jesus, my Lord, who's given me strength, considered me trustworthy, and 
appointing me to his service. Paul had been set apart. And what Jesus did for Paul, he actually does for everyone who comes to faith in him. He sets us apart for service to him. And this course is throughout the New Testament, but I, I don't suppose it's spoken of more clearly anywhere than in the book of Ephesians in chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, it, discovered, it, it ta- talks about what life is like when you're a member of the body of Christ. And in speaking to believers, the writer of Ephesians, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Jesus does this for each one of us. And he does so out of his grace. Now, Ephesians goes on to talk about the work of Christ descending from heaven, ascending back to the heavens. In verse 10, it says, he has ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And then speaking of Jesus, it says in verse 11 of Ephesians 4, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people. That's all of us, every single one of us, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up. See, everybody is somebody in Christ's body. You matter. And he has set you apart, appointed you to serve him in some way or another. I like the way that Peter puts it in his first epistle when he's writing to Christians. He says this in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 9. He's reminding them of their identity in Christ. And he says, but you, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, meaning set apart, a people belonging to God. And here's the purpose, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Jesus appoints us to serve him. Maybe you've heard it described this way. When you come up out of the waters of baptism and step out, you step in to ministry. You step in to a life of service. That's what Jesus has in mind for us, so that the body of Christ might be built up, so that the message can be proclaimed, so that those who are still in darkness could see this light and step into it themselves. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it? And God lets us get in on that. We don't deserve that honor. (laughs) It's a privilege. In fact, there are all kinds of reasons why he wouldn't set us apart to it. But he does anyway. <laughs> Even though we don't deserve it, that's called grace. That's why grace is in capital letters. And that's why this morning, like Paul, we can all thank Christ Jesus our Lord. And he wants to use us in such a way. Well, back to the keyboard. I want you to find, move that mouse so you can highlight that word grace that's capitalized, okay? And then I want you to 
find the icon that you can click on and boom, now that word grace that is capitalized is in bold letters. Grace is in bold letters because, and this, this kind of blows me away, really. Hard to even talk about. But grace is in bold letters because not only does Jesus appoint us to serve him, but he considers us trustworthy to do the work. I thank Christ Jesus, my Lord, who has given me strength. Consider me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. It's really valuable for us to stop and think about the Apostle Paul testifying in this way because when Paul was called, when Paul was sought out by Jesus and counted trustworthy to do the important work that Jesus had in mind for him to do, Paul had absolutely zero track record as a Christian. And you know that if you're familiar of how he was called by Jesus. In our primary text, Paul talks about his former life, a blasphemer, a prosecutor, a violent man. (laughs) And you're probably aware of the fact that Paul the Apostle had formerly been known as Saul of Tarsus before he came to Christ. And Saul of Tarsus had no use for Jesus, and he was certainly no friend to the followers of Jesus. In fact, his ambition, his primary purpose was to pursue those who were professing the name of Jesus and try to stamp them out. And in Acts, the ninth chapter, in the book of Acts, we read uh, testimony about Saul's encounter with Jesus and everything that happened. And we get a little picture of Paul's track record that he had before Christ. And his track record was such that it raised a few eyebrows, to say it mildly. (laughs) And you know that Saul of Tarsus was on the road to Damascus. His express purpose in going to Damascus was to persecute. Even if the measure of violence is necessary, but he really wanted to throw people who were professing the name of Jesus into jail. So he's on his way to Damascus. Jesus confronts him, has a conversation with him. He really gets Saul's attention. (laughs) And so much so that Saul loses his sight. He is blinded by the encounter. And Jesus explains to him, go on into the city and there you will be told what to do. Saul goes to Damascus. He's there three days with no sight. During those three days, he did not eat. And he did not drink, but he sure had a lot of time to think. And he had a lot of time to pray. And God, in his sovereign providence, selects a believer by the name of Ananias in Damascus, and he has an encounter with him. In Acts chapter 9, verse 10, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called in him called into him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. 
I don't know about you, but I tend to think I would have been a lot like Ananias. Because <laughs> uh, the text continues, Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. See what I mean? No track record as a Christian and his track record as a non-believer raised eyebrows. But God called him anyway. And that's why Jesus says to Ananias, the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. Do you see the grace here? Nothing commended Paul. Nothing commended Saul for this work and for this transformation into Paul, the apostle. But God chose him anyway. No wonder in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul's contemplating his ministry and he says, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Boy, he was resolute to serve the Lord faithfully. He understood his own unworthiness. You go back, if your Bible's still open, to our primary text in 1 Timothy 1, beyond 12 through 14, Paul testifies this way. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. And then Paul breaks into doxology. He can't help it now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Yeah, because of his amazing grace to us. I grew up in the church, and my dad uh, was a very good singer. He had a great singing voice. I think he was gifted in that way, and he would sing songs of praise to the Lord uh, in the assemblies uh, when we would come together often. And so I've heard these songs over and over, and they're in my mind and burned into my heart. And one of them is an old hymn that some of you will recognize here. And uh, first of all, relax. I'm not going to sing it because I don't want to clear the room. Uh, but I do want you to hear the lyrics. I am not worthy the least of his favor. Yet Jesus left heaven for me. The word became flesh. And he died as my savior forsaken on dark Calvary. I'm not worthy. This dull tongue repeats it. I'm not worthy. This heart gladly beats it. Jesus left heaven To die in my place, what mercy, what love, what grace. See, it's amazing grace, isn't it? Because if we're honest with ourselves, we understand our own unworthiness. We know that our records would raise a few eyebrows too. 
But in his grace, God deems us. He considers us. He counts us trustworthy to do this work to which he has called every single one of us. And he's the initiator of all this. It's his doing, not our own. There is nothing we could do to qualify ourselves, but he extends himself to us out of his love and his grace, and he wants to use us, no matter our past, no matter whatsoever. It is amazing grace, and like Paul, we can consider where we come from. We can consider our inglorious past, and we can marvel that God would give us a vote of confidence and consider us trustworthy to do this work. And I am so, so thankful for that. And if God considers us to be trustworthy, doesn't it make you want to be trustworthy? I really do feel that way about it. So grace is pictured in our minds, capitalized, because he appoints us to ministry. It's in bold letters because he considers us trustworthy. And once more now to the keyboard. Go in there and use the highlight again. <laughs> highlight, capitalize grace in bold letters. And once you have it highlighted, find the icon where you can hit it and underline it. Grace is in caps, and it's bold, and it's underlined. It's underlined because Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is our source of strength. I thank Christ Jesus, my Lord, who has given me strength, considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Jesus is our strength. See, God's not only the initiator of all this, he is the enabler in every positive sense of that term, meaning that it's his strength, his power, not our own. And that frees us up. That, that actually um, blesses us in many, many ways. One way it can bless us is that it can give us courage. We can be encouraged, you know, an infusion of courage. There are a lot of people when it comes to serving the Lord or being obedient to him and proclaiming the gospel and sharing it with others, declaring the light uh, so that people can see the marvelous light of God and step out of the darkness and, and uh, uh, being part of the body and actively involved in acts of service that will help build the body up. There are a lot of people who think about all that and they say, oh man, I don't think I can do it. I, I don't think I can live the Christian life. I, I don't think I can live the Christian life of service. I'm not sure that I can be faithful to the claim that God has on my life. I'm not sure that I can be trustworthy to carry it out. And may I be blunt? <laughs> if you wrestle with that from time to time, I'll just be blunt and tell you you're right. <laughs> if you're just thinking about I, yi, 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 I don't think I can. If we try to do it on our own, we are destined to fail. Destined to fail. But if we will look to God in faith, counting on his grace, we cannot fail. 
See how that can give you courage to step out and step up and say yes to serving the Lord in some way because you don't have to worry about trying to do it in your own strength. Jesus is our source of strength. I mentioned I grew up in the church. I've been blessed by a lot of people whose lives impacted me in the life of growing up in the church. And, the, and there's one fellow I want to tell you about. His name is Bill. He impacted me in a huge way. Bill was uh, a believer, and he was being challenged to serve in different ways, and he was a little reticent about it, like oftentimes we are, you know. He lacked confidence and so forth and so on, and uh, didn't feel worthy and, and so forth. And, but Bill finally decided to cross the line to step up, step out, and take on a an area of service, and I'm telling you, man, that guy took the baptism of fire because he stepped out to teach a Bible school class, and if that's not enough, he chose to step out and become the teacher of the junior high Bible school class. Now, if there were a doctrine of purgatory, that might have something to do with it, you know. And I was a seventh grader back in those days, seventh, eighth, and ninth was junior high, 10th, 11th, 12th high school. We seventh grade boys, and the eighth and ninth graders were in there too, uh, had Bill become our teacher. He was so nervous. I've never seen anybody in all my life sweat as much as Bill sweat. No kidding. I, my, my brother, who's just a year older than I, was a pretty good basketball player, and, and uh, he played basketball, and he sweat a lot. In fact, sometimes he'd have to change his shoes at halftime of a game because they were so squishy. Um, but Bill was giving him a run for his money. In fact, we junior high boys nicknamed Bill Three Hanky Bill. He had three hankies with him every Sunday because he would just saturate them with sweat because he was so much in awe of teaching the Word of God to young people. And uh, we're just kids, you know. We were always glad when he got the third hanky out because that meant it's getting close to being over now. <laughs> That's bad, I know, but hey, we were junior hires. Come on. Uh, and he taught, and he taught, and he himself was being transformed by the power of God and the Word of God in his own life. And we watched him grow, and it was contagious to us. And seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade. Bill, before our very eyes, was becoming more and more like Jesus. And when we hit ninth grade, since we were the boys who he started with, he talked to the Bible school superintendent, and at his request, Bill was able to move on and become the teacher of the high school class. So Bill was my Bible school teacher, 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade. I can't express the impact that man had on my life because he was willing to step out and step up and say yes to an area of service that he never ever could have done on his own. But in the strength of the Lord, he did it. Not only was his life changed, but many, many others were changed, and I'm among them. I thank God for that. And I thank God for you and where you have stepped out and stepped up and are willing to serve. And I'm thankful this morning. I want to cast a vision for this. The Lord tarries. I thank God for the ways you are going to serve him that you haven't even imagined yet but are altogether possible because Jesus is our source of strength. It doesn't have much to do with us. It has everything 
to do with him. And I pray that you'll experience the amazing grace of God to step out of your comfort zone and experience his power. And when we do that, and when we realize Jesus is our source, we also then have hope. We have hope. The strength comes from the Lord. A lot of times in serving the Lord, really, it's just flat out enjoyable, you know. I get the privilege of serving the Lord by sharing the Word of God with you today, and actually, it's there's nothing miserable about it. It's totally enjoyable. You're also very kind. But sometimes being faithful to the Lord and carrying out what He puts before us to do in His name and in His strength is not so easy. In fact, sometimes it's flat-out heart-wrenching. And in those moments, we always have hope because we operate in the strength of the Lord, not our own. I am thoroughly convinced that that was behind the words Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. He'd been reflecting about how he had been entrusted with the mystery of the gospel to share it with other people. And then he says in verse 7 of chapter 4, but we have this treasure, the treasure of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that can offer life to anybody who will believe. We have this treasure, he said, and I love the word imagery here. You might be familiar with it. He said in jars of clay, talking about himself. And all of us as believers, we have this treasure in jars of clay. We're very fragile, weak, we have this treasure in jars of clay, he says, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. See, we have this hope that comes, that we are not relying on our own strength. We're relying on Christ Jesus who gives us strength. And then, just one more quick blessing that can be ours when we realize that our strength comes from Jesus. It can protect us from foolish and unwholesome, even poisonous pride. Because you know, as you serve the Lord, sometimes you'll be thanked, sometimes you'll be recognized, sometimes... And people who appreciate uh, a kind gesture or ministry in some way will do that. And here's the danger. I know the old devil's always trying to get us to think this. And then we sometimes become a little bit careless in our thinking too. And we begin to think we're something <laughs> when we're nothing. It's his strength, not our own. And we always need to remember where we come from. It'll, it'll help us to keep from foolishly becoming full of ourselves. You know, the church in Corinth had a lot of problems, and I'm convinced in his first letter, that's why at the outset in chapter 1, the Apostle Paul tried to redirect their thinking. Really, what he was doing, I think, for them is something we all need. He was redirecting the spotlight. It was taking the spotlight off of them and putting it squarely where it should be 
and needs to remain. He said, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. And before I finish the passage, which has just two more verses in it, I think it's really important for us to take a moment to understand where it says no one, to understand the translation of the original Greek language there. It means this, no one... It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. That's where the spotlight always belongs. And God is doing some amazing things and pouring out blessings here in the life of of this congregation, and I'm thankful that you are careful to keep the spotlight right where it belongs. Amazing grace. I like the way Eugene Peterson renders the thoughts of Paul from what has been our primary text this morning. Eugene Peterson renders verses 12 through 14 this way in the message. I'm so grateful to Christ Jesus for making me adequate to do this work. He went out on a limb, you know, <laughs> entrusting me with this ministry. The only credentials I brought were invective and witch hunt and arrogance. But I was treated mercifully because I didn't know what I was doing, didn't know who I was doing it against. Grace, mixed with faith and love, poured over me and into me, and all because of Jesus. That's my prayer this morning, that we would hear God's word so clearly that God's grace would pour over us and into us, into us, all because of Jesus. And it's only right because it's amazing grace. God's grace to save us in the first place and then God's grace to change us. God's grace to use us. I am a fan of Rich Mullins' music, especially his lyrics, and I love one of his songs called If I Stand, and particularly these Lyrics, if I stand, let me stand on the promise that you will pull me through. And if I can't, let me fall on the grace that first brought me to you. Oh, let's respond in our hearts this morning to the amazing grace of God. And as we celebrate the amazing grace, let's respond in gratitude, humility, and surrender to the God who calls us to salvation, 
the God who appoints us to his service, the God who considers us trustworthy, and to Lord Jesus, who is our source of strength.